Before we introduce today's guest, first and foremost, we want to welcome all of our listeners into 2022. We hope you all have a prosperous new year and keep sprinkling the gold dust. Second, we want to thank everyone that listened to episode 55 with AFC Wimbledon head coach Mark Robinson. The episode was very well received, which is always nice to hear. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect from today's episode. I think coaching can become really, really complex. Um, so a key part of what we want to do is try and make those complex messages really simple. Um, and I think there's been, you know, sometimes things can get a little bit foggy and, um, and there's lots of different ideas that are going out there where we want to make it really clear about what we're trying to do so it, it, it makes it simple for the, um, for the coaches. We're excited to welcome Ian Bateman onto the Golders podcast. Ian is an FA youth coach developer and has worked with the FA since 2009. Prior to that, he worked with Bolton Wanderers for 10 years and has over 30 years experience in football. He's also worked with England Futsal and the partially sighted team and he has a vast array of experiences and knowledge to share. Ian, thank you for coming on and welcome to the Golders podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. So, first question, as, as most people already know, gold dust to us is about sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think it's, it's the small details, really, for me, that just have such a massive impact. Um, I think quite often it's stuff that's not written down anywhere either. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah, and it, and it can be everywhere. I think I was giving this some thought and I think I think everyone's quite capable of of making their own gold dust. I really do. Um, and I think when I, I look back, it's it's generally happened when I've been with groups of other people um, that are passionate about a particular thing. So whether that's at Crossfields with our our junior football club around the corner or whether it's, you know, it's been at a pro club or now at the FA, when you've got small groups of passionate people trying to solve some pretty tricky stuff sometimes. And I'd say a grassroots club can be pretty tricky stuff. Um, that actually, but when you're on the same page and you're trying to solve it, then magic happens. And, and that's when the goal, you, you generate your own gold dust factory. Um, and then when people are willing to share that stuff, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the brilliance of it. Don't keep it a secret. Yeah, what a great answer, Ian. That sharing of the love, because uh, mm. it's useless unless it's actually, unless we use it unless we actually share it. But let's delve a little deeper. I know you spoke about Crossfields. We spoke uh, uh, very, well, we not even spoke about what you're doing currently, but let's delve into what your current role looks like. And what does it entail? Yeah, so I've, I've been really lucky. I've spent the whole, the whole of my working life in football, not as a player, but as a, a professional working in football. I've spent last 12 years at the FA um, doing different things with coach development and um, from being a regional coach to being involved with futsal uh, and now I'm, I lead a team of 18 youth coach educators or coach developers who work across the boys academy program um, so we're helping heads of coaching we're helping all the staff working in the boys game at the moment and which is part of the elite player performance program the EPPP which is pretty much headed by the Premier League 
So we work really closely with the um, with the Premier League and with the with the EFL as well, um, across all the the, the ninety odd clubs, um, and trying to make players better. That's that's the pretty much top of the top and bottom of it. But I think our role in that is that you know we work through the um, we work through the coaches, so we do have an impact on the players, but but it's all through coach development. So um, and then in some cases, I think now we're through working with heads of coaching, we're trying to make the coach developers. Get even better as well so you know there's coach developers developers helping the coach developers um i think the, the look there's some really exciting stuff so what the you know the advanced youth award we, we we've got control of that our group um we you know have a massive impact on the a license so there's sort of level four top end coaching awards within the organization that falls within our remit um as do the futsal awards um, we have a big input now on the on the technical all the technical stuff that's going into coach education. That's pretty much falling within our group. Um, so it is, you know, it's it's yeah. There is a bit of responsibility there, I think, from from the team, not just me. I'm just part of that team, and and we're trying to roll that out. I think as well, we and it, and it links when I've said before about the small groups trying to create gold dust. We've we've had um, for the last two years, we've had a. a like a player development insights group, we call it, which was all about trying to put the player first. And it was set together because just to give us a real focus for what coach education at the FA was really all about. Um, and that group's called on I know, people, people, Paul McGuinness that was at Man United for so long, Pete Sturgis that's been so influential in the foundation phase, Paul Holder, Robbie Pringle, Martin Thomas from goalkeeping. So real, quite a lot of experience sort of for across the whole game, and that's that's really trying to shape where the FA is going. I think in terms of um, its sort of core thinking around football at the minute. So yeah, really exciting and a, just a really huge opportunity to to try and affect the game, not just for the next couple of years, but you know I think we know that it's the impact you have now in coach development has an impact further down the track, probably in ten years' time. With England teams and everything. What's your purpose? Yeah, so I think we've, we've got to make the coaches better um, and um, and and more efficient in the work and and, and better at the, the roles that they play. So and, and develop coaches. I think coaching can become really really complex. Um, so a key part of what we want to do is try and make those complex messages really simple. Um, and I think there's been, you know, sometimes things can get a little bit foggy and, and there's lots of different ideas that are going out there where we want to make it really clear about what we're trying to do. So it, it makes it simple for the, um, for the coaches. Um, I think it's, we've got to, we've, it's not just the pro game that we're working with, I think, as well. I think the purpose of what we do is to try and affect the whole game. So whether you, you know, we, we want... Um, our key message really at the minute is about trying to develop more skillful players across the whole game. And that's, you know, players in and out of possession. It's, you know, if you're a 73 year old playing walking football, we want you to be more skillful. You know, if you're a three or four year old just starting off in the game, we want you to be more skillful and so that you can enjoy the game even more. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're trying to do. But, and at the same time, put the players at the centre of everything that we do. That we don't become too sort of focused around a coach. It's never forgetting that the player is is the reason why we do this and trying to help the players get better. That's that has to be central to everything. What what lets you know you're fulfilling that purpose? Um, 
I think it's a slow burner. I think that's the this this is the problem with you know if you're working with a group of players, you can you can do some work and it's it's fairly instant that you you know you can see if they're taking information on board. You can see you know work on something in training and then you go to game day and you can see if the players apply it. Coach development a bit feels like a lot slower to have that sort of impact. I think that's something to do with adult learning. It, it's you've got to be a little bit more patient with it, maybe. Um, I don't think you are going around telling people direct. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to sow messages a little bit slower. Um, but yeah, so the, the impact, if, if the impact is seeing the development of the players, that it could be a six-month time lapse. It could be longer than that, you know. And I, and I think it's only looking back. Les Howie, when he was at the FA, when he was head of grassroots, always said, look back to what things were like five years ago look back to what things were like three years ago and then then, then you can judge what impact you're having um you know and, and i think that's the case now you know the success of england teams at the moment um you know clearly they're doing phenomenally well you know the, the men's team the lionesses and, and some of the disability teams as well but actually what what changed 10 years ago that's allowed it that's happened because phil foden and mason mount have come through a, a program that that's you know it's not what's happening last two years that's really make it having an impact on how they've turned out as you know as exceptional talents there's probably something that changed five years ten years ago um, that's probably had the impact so i think we've got to explore always about what that situation was and never forgetting the great work that people have pulled together you know people like dick bait all those sorts of people that you know they were doing great stuff and influenced lots of other coach developers and coaches that then ultimately have the impact on the players. With that, Ian, you talk about what you're looking for, or what what the FA want out of players, mm. and obviously what were you aiming to to strive to to get to. In your opinion, what are common areas that coaches near need to steer toward to actually help further develop these players? Yeah. I think um, I think we've got really good at generating excellent environments for players, you know. So they they, they come to football, they enjoy football, um, and the coach. There seems to be like a quite a new breed of coaches, younger coaches potentially now than what there ever has been, and coaches coming into thing. You know, it's a career. You can make coaching your career from being a, you know, from being an eight, eighteen year old, study it and and bring it through. Um, I think what's Dropping out of that, though, is then there become some skills gaps because maybe some of the coaches now um, probably, you know, we, we want to, if we want to go after, um, you know, is there some gaps that because they've not played so much, then they don't understand the game so much. Um, so we've, we've probably, I think as an organisation now, we've got to really try and fill some of those gaps so the coaches understand the game, um, you know, when, when they're coming into those, those coaching roles. Um, but I think you know. So we we our thinking at the moment is is trying to to trying to in the in the. So we've got an opportunity to start um, sort of evolving courses even further, but having this focus about more skillful players is allows us to um, sort of focus people's mind on particular areas, and having that at the real forefront of our thinking. So, and then providing making sure that coaches understand about sort of the different opportunities that players can have you know so it's this this does seem to be a, 
I think a rush at the moment to really rush to 11 v 11 all the time. We're actually, you know, we can we can give players great experiences, not just through 11 v 11. There's a whole raft of different places that we, we can, you know, different formats, different numbers, all the rest of it. But getting the coaches to understand what that's all about, I think that's critical. You, you speak about these these gaps in between either coach understanding or player understanding, but in you working in the pro game with pro clubs predominantly, mm. what, what tends to be the most sought-after skill set that heads of coaching look for from the current coaches? I think they, they, they want coaches that can really relate to the players. You know, so I think that's absolutely critical. So if there's no relationship there with the players, then then we've, we've got a problem. So um, and I think the coaches are really, there's some guys that's doing that really, really, really well. Um, I think if there was um, a bit of a gap at the moment, then what heads of coaching are telling me is when when people come in for interview, then, then understanding, fixing problems within the game, um, that's, there is a challenge there. And that could come back down to this lack of playing experience a little bit. So, you know, traditionally, I don't know, when the, the academy programme first set in, I guess there was a lot of teachers that were, were involved with that. So they understood about kids, probably been, you know, key around football for many, many years. A lot were ex-players that were de delivering, um, were involved in the academies at that time. The demographic of the coaches now is, is definitely a lot younger. Um, so I think when, when people are coming to interview, they haven't got that game experience. Um, and heads of coaching are looking for, for for coaches that can help the players in the moment during a game, so they can do great running sessions. Um, but when they go to game day and they're going up against other teams, can they help the players to find some solutions within those game game moments? And that's you know, and that might be down to just the amount of games people have played and experienced, not just as a coach, but you know, in in their what they got from their playing locker, if you like. Not saying that you got to play at the top level by any means, but just having a broad range of experiences that you might have been through as a player. Um, so I think they, they, there's, I hear that a lot from heads of coaching, that, um, you know, that, that's one element. Going back to the skills message as well, and I think this is where we've, where we've hooked onto it, is just about identifying. So we see, um, again, supporting around A licence, we'll go and support coaches through so a lot of our work we work side by side in the clubs um it's not just about delivering a course and then seeing someone deliver on a, on a course we'll go into the clubs and work with them with the with the coaches working with their players in their environment and we'll make a point of, of because we, it's been flagged about the game day being so important and some challenges within game day that we don't just watch people delivering sessions and i think one thing we we have picked up on as a group is that the go-to fix is quite often to change a formation or a system, um, rather than actually looking at what's going on with the individual players and trying to fix the player. So you know if you've got a cent, you know you're giving the but you're trying to play out from the back, you keep giving it, your centre half keeps giving it away. Now is that is that due to that he doesn't scan and see where his fullback is? Does he not scan and see what's going on in front of him? Is it the quality of his pass? Is it, you know, uh, is it the quality of the movement of the positioning of the fullback to try and get land on the ball? We're not, it, it's not coming down to those um, finer points, if you like, to, um, 
to try and fix the individual or in, or fix the pairs. It will just go into, no, instead of playing the back four, we'll go and play with the back five. It's not really the answer. We've, you know, we've, we've got to get into the, the finer detail. And that keeps coming back loud and clear from, from lots of clubs at, at all levels. You've mentioned in there about coaches, game understanding, probably some of it may be lacking in, in some areas um, where maybe they've, maybe they've not played the game and not studied it enough and they're good at delivering sessions, but managing the game is a different situation. Other than that, when observing coaches working with players, what tends to be the most common deficiency that you do see in coaches? Yeah, I think I think that bit about the the, the sessions, what you just mentioned. I think there's um, we see a lot of coaches um, that will run a session, but I don't necessarily see them coaching the player. Now, which you know, I think they can pick a lot of sessions up from from the internet. And look, look, there's some magic stuff out there. There's some brilliant stuff out there. And then um, I think there's just a difference between then running just running a session and then actually coaching the players within it. So if we get the practice design right, we know we're going to get 80% of the returns that we probably think we can from the session. And, and, and by the way, I think coaches have got a really good understanding about some practice. You know, you see some great practice designs. But then just helping them to give the, the players that extra, that extra little bit of gold dust, if you like, the, the extra little piece of magic that's going to help them out, that's going to... And, it's a, and I'm not for one minute saying that we stop the session every two seconds to try and fix everything. We want to get away from that. We want the players to be in, a, um, in sessions where they're practising, they're, they're failing, they're having a little bit of success, they're working out how they got the success, when it failed, what was going on. Um, but then we need the coach to be recognising that actually who, you know, all the kids are individual, how we're building their super strengths within that session. And the little bit of detail around it—that's the bit that we, we we want to help them with at the minute. And that's, and I, th and I think it's reframing as well what um, how people see the game—that that does become the forefront of what we're doing. Um, you know, helping the players get better. You know, across all all four corners, really. So when you're working with a coach, Ian, male or female, within the game. You're taking them on a journey. They're on their own journey. There's lots of facilitation taking place. Mm. But what is the process once they've attended? Let's just assume, you know, you've got a candidate that's done the area. They're going through the air license process. And they've done the core course. They're now mm. in their own environment. Talk to us briefly around what that looks like from yourself. Mm -hmm. And how does that, link nicely and dovetail with the coach who you, yeah. you work with and concurrently how does that have a have an impact on the players yeah yeah i think things have evolved massively uh, since the time i've been at the fa you know on, on all courses now pretty much from b license upwards with um you know we work side by side with the coaches so i think at once you know one time you used to come in and do a week's course and then go away, come back a year later and show us what you've got, which would have been like, you know, learning to drive where you have a week's load of instruction. Then you're left to joyride for 12 months and then you come back and try and take the test. 
I think we've moved on a country mile from that. So, you know, we, we know whether it's the Advanced Youth Award, whether it's the A licence, working in two or three day blocks together has been something that's been in for a number of years and, and spreading the learning out over a 12 month period or an 18 month period. So we're not rushing things. Um, we know that the vast majority of your learning takes place by you going and have a go and applying with, you, you, with your players. It's not, you know, when you're just watching somebody work, that's not where the learning's happening. Um, we also knew that we were wanting to take some stuff online so that when we um, when we were uh, together, so people landing in a room and, and hearing something fresh for the first time um, probably wasn't the best use of our time. So when COVID came along and we started doing online um, webinars and, and what have you to tee up the course, um, it sort of accelerated what we wanted to do to offer an online model. So, so now we have online learning before you come on a block, you come and do your block. And then after you've been on the block, you're going to try and apply your work in the club and then you'll get support from a, a, a coach developer at that point. And that will repeat on A licence, it repeats six times. On the Advanced Youth Award, it, it repeats five or six times. We don't put um, an end point of when that, that learning finishes. You know, that at some point in that, and it could be quite early on in the proceedings that you, know, you think, oh, blimey, this fellow's really good. And you know, that as soon as you hit the, the last part of the course, then you know they'll be signed off and off they off they go on, you know, carry on with this sort of the, the journey. But um, so we've got this really nice blend now of online work, face-to-face -face work, which is becoming more practically based when we're down at St. George's Park or wherever. And then you know, you're getting that side-by-side -side support in the club. And it, it's really interesting when we meet with our colleagues from different countries around all the UEFA countries. They can't understand about um, how, as a federation, we're allowed to work in the clubs alongside the coaches. You know, the Germans are just looking at a program now to start off. They're, they're running their pilot program from January. You know, the other, the Dutch, the everybody else cannot understand that we've got that relationship we're allowed in. Now, you know, we've been fortunate we've built up that, built up the program over the last 10 or 12 years that's allowed us to get to that point. Um, but I think the feedback we get is that people like having us there side by side, filming some of the work, you know, being on people's shoulder and having being that person that can have the conversation with them. So it's it's really a solid process now. And if you add in the head of coaching at the club being part of that process, it's um, I think we are building something special, which is making, you know, helping coaches to improve and get better. In terms of practice effective practice correct me if i'm wrong here there's crossovers through all sports for you regardless of sport whether it's football it's rugby it's basketball whatever it may be what does every effective session or practice what what should it contain yeah now we i mean poor holder on the when we rolled out module two was really key he had three hours and it was about things being relevant it being realistic to the game and then getting repetition of, of what you want to get out of it, you know, and, and I think that's that's stood by me for the last 10 years. So um, and in realistic, I think one thing we're pushing at the moment is that. Is is a session, has it got some sort of direction in it? Um, has it probably got goals in it? So a goal could be a target player. It could be an end zone. 
Well, ideally, it's probably a set of goalposts. And if you've got a set of goalposts, you probably want to stick a goalkeeper in the middle of it. So if we've got direction and goals and goalkeepers, it's kind of looking a little bit like a game. But also then you need to think that the numbers probably need to be matched up because that's generally what the game's all about. You, everybody starts with equal numbers. doesn't always end up that way, but you know whether you're playing 5v5, 11v11, you start for the same numbers. So that's, that's a really good starting point for the game. So, and if you want to, I know there's going to be times where you want to you know, increase the repetition of what you want to do. So if you increase the repetition, you know, we talk about the practice spectrum of, you know, increase the repetition, you might lose some of that realism, you know, so, and there's a time that we should do that. But I think, um, you know, if the, if the pictures that the players are seeing at that moment in time aren't, aren't realistic to what they're going to see in the game, you've got to have a pretty decent excuse or reason for doing it and a real strong, otherwise don't do it. And things like unopposed finishing practices, kind of, I'm struggling with, I really, really struggle, or, you know, or crossing exercises where people are finishing and there's no defenders. Because it could, some would argue that it, it, it really forces some bad practice and some bad habits, um, you know, where we know, and I, and I get the point, oh yeah, we, we, we want to build some confidence. Well, we might be building confidence, but then when they get into that match situation, the different the pictures are so different than what the players are going to see. It might not be doing them any use at all. So you know, for me, when I'm watching a game and I'm seeing people attacking, generally, if the defence is organised, you know, you, you've probably got nine or ten defenders there and seven or eight attackers. So you're actually underloaded. Do we practice? Is our, are our finishing practices underloaded, which forces one tap one touch finishes? You know, when you teenagers upwards I know it's different if you're in the foundation phase because if you get in anywhere around the box and you're eight years old you ain't passing the ball you know it's you're going to dribble and shoot that's you know we've got the stats you know we're working on those stats now because you know why would you you're not going to pass to your mate even if he's in a better position so let's you know let's understand how eight and nine year olds work um but you know if we're working with 15 year olds and we know that first time finishes are really really important well, actually, we better get some congestion around us. So it, it becomes about, you know, how do we, what's our positioning like? How do we scan? How do we use our body and what's our movement like so we can land on the ball and strike first time? You know, and understand that finishing can be with your, your right foot, your left foot, your backside, your head, whatever it wants to be. You know, finishing comes in all shapes and sizes. So but practice the types of finishes that you're going to get in the game. Feedback is a key word here, is it not? Where we can do nice fancy sessions, but effectively there's not been a great deal of return from the practice. Yeah. But, you know, and you've seen a lot of coaches across different clubs now. What is it that we need to do to keep things fresh for the players? What is it the coaches need to do? Because we can have lots of, lots of sameness, but, just dropping in that little seed or something that is slightly different can, you know, it magnetizes, keeps that interest in there. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? I think sometimes we can sometimes implement too much change for the players. You know, there's, we just change a practice because we think we've got to offer, bring something new to the party every week. And I, and I don't think it's that. You know, I, I, I see, you know, a lot of clubs now might have 10 stock practices that they go to and and think, you know, they're the ones that we hang our hat on because we know we're going to get 
X, Y, and Z out of them. And it can be the same practice, you know, that we can use for some in-possession work, some out-possession work, some travelling with the ball, some, you know, Man United and their, their 4v4 games, which, you know, are, are just absolute genius in terms of um, simplicity. They've done it for 20 years and, you know, there's, there's players playing in every league um, that have come from some real simple practices that, the, you know, the players complete time and time again. Um, I think, I think what the danger when practice is, you know, it's a different, the, the coach has to learn the practice, the players have to learn the practice. And once it's all running smoothly, that's the point where you can start noticing what's actually going on for the individual players. And, and that's, that's the bit I think the coaches sometimes miss. So if they're worried about, well, I've never done this practice before, I'm not sure how it's going to run. Well, that's running through your head you know, a lot faster than being able to spot the detail that's, that's dropping out for the players. Um, so I think we've got to be about, a little bit careful about, you know, mixing it up all the time. But then we've probably got one or two, you know, skills, tools in the toolbox, if you like, that we, you know, that we can probably play, I don't know, if you can't pass backwards, let's play a game where we, you know, we could play line ball, but you can't pass backwards. Oh, well, okay. And if the kids have played that before, you know, they could have played a target game can't pass backwards well all of a sudden that's affecting all sorts of things about your body shape and how you're going to move and how you're going to receive the ball so you know um you know limiting touches has got its place you know we don't use it all the time but there might be a place where you want to go and use that for what you know for whatever you, if you've got that reason to do it then do it but that you could drop that into any practice to, to freshen up i think the, the the biggest thing for me is 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 like maximizing the games program the bit that players really, really enjoy is playing matches. You know, putting the kit on, going toe-to-toe against somebody else and, you know, and, and playing. And I think it's, that's the bit that excites them. As somebody now, I remember more games than training sessions and that's as a coach and a player. You know, I don't remember many worldy... I, I, I can't, you know, sessions seem to drift off into the wilderness. The learning certainly seems to happen more in the games, I think, and matches. And then do we really utilise, you know, the, 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 the variety of games that we could have in terms of formats, surfaces, numbers, phoning up the opposition for them to play in a particular way. So, you know, I'm phoning you up the night before, Keith, can you, or the week before, can you play, you know, can you, it'd be really great if you press the living daylight outside of us all game and we're going to try and break that press. And then we know what we're working on. You know what you're working on. We're not going to deviate from that. That's what we're going to do. And I think suddenly that really could give sessions and matches a real spice that you've got a, a real goal that you're going heading for at the end of the week um, and you're all work, working towards it. I think that's probably the where we are missing something at the minute and I don't see that often enough. See, I'm seeing it, by the way, but probably we could do it more often. I want to change tack slightly because mm. he talked about Football, coach development, player development. Not spoken much about this is futsal. And we know you've got a a passion for futsal, which is, you can see your face light up when I mention that then. (laughs) Where did this all start? Where did the passion for futsal start? And and which teams have you worked with? Yeah, the F word. You've got to be careful with that. (laughs) You've got a few times here on this now. Yeah, no, no, it's, um, do you know what, the, the, 
Yeah, it all started. Um, I mean, when I started at the FA, um, Graham Keeley was uh, worked with the partially sighted team. So a lot of the regional managers work with the disability squads. And um, Graham asked me if I'd be interested in, um, in getting involved with the partially sighted squad. Um, I had no idea what was going on. He said, we're down at Hereford this weekend. Would you, do you fancy coming down and having a look? So I, I think I arrived mid-camp um, and it was it surprised me because I took my boots and we're actually in a in a footsight in a in a hall at the uh, the blind school in Hereford. Um, and lo and behold, we played uh, Bath um, University. It was five aside, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Like not a clue. There was players rolling on, subs were rolling on and off. Uh, they were talking a different language. Um, and I went home scratching my head thinking crikey what 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 was that all about but the game there was like there was loads of goals it was like six six i think we equalized in the last minute um and and, and kind of that's where it started um and i'd always it was funny because when i was at I'd, I'd worked at bolt for a long time we'd looked at the four we, we were aware of what united do in the four v four i was convinced about small sided being a real good solution to um to helping the players and this seemed like a really good extension to that. And, and I realised I knew nothing about it. So then, yeah, Graham had asked us to do some bits. And, and I look back now and I think, crikey, what I was, you know, I, I was so far off probably where my futsal knowledge is now. But it, yeah, we were, it, it took us to a tournament um, in Turkey. It was a European Championships. These guys were fully committed, absolutely fully committed. So they, this isn't the blind squad, the partially sighted. Um, so they play some, you know, they play it's futsal with slight, slightly different rules. Um, but what I did see was, well, actually, no, this this was an England squad, and these lads were committed, and um, and the tournament was really, really exciting. We got absolutely popped by Spain, and at that point, I thought, mm, no, I think um, I need to see a little bit more of this. I'm hoping I get invited for the for next season, and I did, and then and then that started to go from there. So um, that's where it started. And then it's funny how things turn out. So I, I was on the advanced youth, the pilot advanced youth award when we were rolling it at the time. I was I did my work around around the squad because that was the team that I was spending most time working with. Presented something on the course, and again, guys in the room were going, well, "What's what's this fella about? Five e five? It's indoors." But what I didn't, I presented this stuff, and Dan Ashworth, who's just been appointed as technical director, was in the room. And he just happened to walk in when I'm presenting and was a little bit curious about it. Clearly knew, had seen about futsal and what might have been going on in other countries. So he was aware of all the stuff. And that's, um, that's when they, they kind of asked me to think about sort of changing from doing my regional role to, to picking up the, um, the futsal baton and, and, and sort of developing the coach edu- education programme for that. So I had five or six years doing it, um, ended up assisting Mike Scabala with the England national team. Um, and again, it was, you, you, th- you start to think you get to know a bit about football, but literally had to start from scratch to get up to speed to go and compete internationally with, you know, top, top teams that we were, that we were, we were playing against. You've obviously got a real keen interest in futsal, Ian, having mm. known you for a number of years now. But... Uh... What has futsal, what, what has it done? How has it helped to shape some of your current values and beliefs about the game? And, and when I refer to the game, referring to 
futsal, you personally as a, a coach developer, uh, and players? There's two, I think from a coach development point of view. So, well, the, the game's super fast. So because of the ball and because of the surface, the ball can travel a lot quicker. So there's less bounce in the ball. It's not heavier, it just has less bounce. So, and the game's about fighting for real small pockets of space. So if you think on a football pitch, you, you know, you, you, you think it's tight. Well, actually, you know, go on to an area that's like a 30th the size of a pitch. Well, now we're talking. And, and if you play in Croatia, they normally turn up with six giants, six foot odd plus, you know, so they fill the court really, really well. So you've got a faster game. You've got no space. Suddenly, and these these so you've got to think about as a group, how you're going to generate space individually, how you're going to generate space. Um, you've got to think quicker. And as a coach, you've got loads more up your sleeve. So you've got, um, you operate at international level with um, two goalkeepers and then 12 outfield players in effect, of which four on court any one time. So you've got eight on the bench. The, the guys, the intensity is that high. They only last for about two or three minutes on the court. And then they've got to get off because we had the stats that absolutely told us that each had a certain particular point where they fell off the cliff from an impact point of view. So in or out of possession, um, you know, they'd, they'd hit that point, the legs had gone and, you know, they just were a waste of time. They've got to get off. So again, so as a coach, you, you can be changing things all the time. You can change your, your style and your formation in an, you know, ball goes out of play change all four outfield players, change all five players if you want and bring a fly team on. And, you know, as a coach, you can change the game instantly. Where when I went back to football, it's like the game starts and I can't do anything. The guy over on the far side can't hear me. You know, when, when the, the four have come off, then, you know, they're having the conversation to sort out. So you, you would, in some instances, you'd keep your fours together. You know, they're problem solving on the bench. As a coaching team, you know, you can impact that group for when they go back on in five or six minutes, you know, so you're having that information. It's like you come off after a game and you're, you know, you're spent. And we would have um, sort of a couple of coaches, fitness guy telling you the minutes that people have been on, your goalkeeper coach impacting on that as well. So we, as a coaching team, in the moment, you've got to be dealing with the problems that, that's faced with you. And if you get it wrong, you concede. This isn't coach development where you've got a six-month time. This is like six seconds later, you get it wrong. They've counted on you and the ball's in the back of your net. It's brutal. It's an absolute brutal game. And developing my own skills, it was like, wow, I've got to have an eye for detail. Um, I've got to react quickly. Really sharpened, sharpened my, um, my toolbox or my tools in the toolbox for sure. I think maybe the, the most up-to-date example in terms of futsal players that's that's now playing max kilman is at wolves so he's obviously playing in the premier league now now prior to him going to wolves he was actually just playing futsal and he did play he played 25 games for england uh, national futsal team I know there'll be other benefits which you can touch on too but from a, a defensive standpoint because he's a centre-back the futsal ball is easy, easier to control. So in terms of when a player's got it, they're able to manipulate the ball easier. Yeah. Do you think that helps defenders become more patient as opposed to trying to win something that they may not be able to? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's um, there's a there's a couple. Of, yeah, so it's very much loaded in favour of the team that's in possession. You could argue, you know, from a, because it will go in and it will stick. It's not going to the ball doesn't bounce off. And the reason you see them receiving with the, the sole is that it sticks and they, they can keep the head up while the, the ball's stuck with it with their feet. So from a defensive point of view, you've got to get it right. The, the other problem the defenders have got is that you've only got five fouls and a half for the whole team, not an individual. The whole team's got five fouls. The sixth foul, seventh foul, eighth foul are all a long penalty, a 10-metre penalty. So not only have they got this challenge that it's in the, the attacker's favour, um, you know, they've got this problem with it that they can't foul either. The other thing with with Max was he was um, he was going he was growing at the time, so he's ended up about six foot four. Um, that I'd, I'd say he was about six two then, but he was coming up against some giants who were like a real handful and would give him a hard time. So so he had that to deal with. I think another big thing that that really helps the defenders is because you, you, there isn't much room. You, if you're going to win the ball, if you're going to intercept, you've got to win it clean. So clean in terms of not fouling, but clean in terms of my first touch can't go too far away from me because it's going to go out of play. If I'm the back, you know, if I'm the last man, and I'm different, well, actually that gives them a, a kicking quite high up in our court. And that's a real threat for us. So to win it clean and keep possession is a massive challenge. And Max was brilliant at that. And then the other thing, of course, you can't, from an in-possession point of view, for Max, he was he, was, he played as, a, as our backman, which is the hardest position to play. So receiving off the goalkeeper, you can't play backwards. So he's, And you see this in his play at the moment, about how he receives it, gets on the ball, looks to play forwards. He's really skillful that he can receive in tight areas, but look to play the ball forwards and keep the ball moving. Um, so we see that all the time. I think the thing we shouldn't forget, though, with Max, though, is at that time he was out playing at Maidenhead. And so we had that real physicality of playing in the National League on a, on a Saturday. And then on a Sunday was playing National League futsal or playing training with the international squad. And to be fair to him, he was fully committed to, you know, sometimes training with us on a Friday, playing for Maidenhead on Saturday, coming and training and playing with us on a, on a Sunday unbelievable commitment but he kind of figured out that actually that twin track approach was really useful for him and he was the first player for, I think for 10 years to move from to go directly from the from non-league into the Premier League without playing in the in the um, in the EFL I think the one guy before was Chris Smalling so there was something that was quite special that had gone on but it, it doesn't happen it's a bit of a freak but something has happened and clearly he's having, you know, he's doing terrifically well this season. That, um, you know, it, it's great. It was great for the futsal programme. Um, and I think the other thing with Max, he played in, it wasn't the fact they had 25 games. He played in some World Cup qualifiers, some Euro, European Championship qualifiers. We played in a full house in Germany and he scored an equaliser with six seconds to go. And he built up these experiences that actually... It's like money can't buy stuff, but real, real super competitive environments that meant something. And um, yeah, so then, you know, then you think, oh, you could deal with that. It's no surprising now that you can deal with the Premier League. You know, when you talk about that, Ian, I've been, as you know, I'm involved in an academy and we have participated in several, many futsal tournaments over a number of years. But it's interesting. Were 
we talk about defending, and that's just one facet of the game. We know that's it plays a big part for sure. But getting youngsters to actually become less eager to want to win the ball, so effectively, you know, constraint maybe don't win the ball. So it's a different mindset. But because of that, if you give five fouls away, you know, that's a, in one half, that then becomes a bit of a challenge. So the constraints around how we, our design practices could actually, if you like, draw out more of what we want. Mm. And obviously, futsal plays a big part in that. Uh, and you've just, you know, just highlighted Max, obviously, he's, been, he's one of many, many players that played the game, but he's extremely unique in, in terms of what his gains uh, have been as a consequence of playing at Maidenhead and then straight into the Premier League. Now, to improve players and the game in general, in what areas do you feel coaches need to spend more time developing, Ian? Yeah. I, th I think it's I think it's um, spending more time in the games. I really do, and understanding what we can get from games, and that's. Can, you know, can that's I just yeah. can I just interrupt you? When you refer to games, what are you referring to specifically there? Yeah, matches, matches going toe to toe with opposition. I think that's probably where we see training and matches as separate events. Um, where actually, if we use the match as a you know as a real learning learning environment for kids, then we can really maximise that. We we have seen a shift. We've seen a massive shift now into a post practice. The, the research tells us that, and that was kind of part of what the youth awards did for us. You know, we we know we've had this shift from um, unopposed practice into a post practice. But the next step for me is actually you know this game day. Do we really maximise game day? Um, and this is all across the whole game, you know, because again, that, that's where the real emotion is. It's where for the players and for the coaches. And if it's, you know, so if we're, if we're saying, and that's the feedback that's coming back as well about understanding these game problems. And, um, and it's tricky because sometimes you might have to, you know, take yourself out of that, but actually spend the time. We're at a point where we, I think there was like five or six training sessions to every game per week, or even if there's three training sessions per one game per week, you know, that doesn't really feel like it's enough. So let's shift the emphasis towards the matches and the games and get people really good at coaching and understanding the game. I think, I think that's, that's where we can make some big gains. I think the other thing is, and it goes back to what I was saying about the, having a team of coaches with a futsal squad, how you how the coaches work together to help the players you know so uh, i know the fa the, the teams at the fa went down a specialist coaches route you know in possession out of possession um not necessarily saying that but i think there's a you know how often does the the coach work really closely with the goalkeeping coach to come up with solutions does the co goalkeeping coach you know lead some of the out of possession stuff the out of possession work that's around the back four and get those connections right between the goalkeeper and, and, and the, the rest of the defenders. And probably with, you know, if you're in that situation in a, in a club where you've got a full multidisciplinary team, are the coaches really using that MDT in the way that it could do? I realise it's different in grassroots where you, where you do everything. Uh, but even then, you know, how do you use your parents that, that could be there? You know, have you got some 
accounts that can take the load off in different ways well you know let's let's go and use them so i think developing those skills of communicating with your colleagues around you and getting the most out of each other as a as a, as a group to then help the individual players that that's probably where we need to get it and it it means you can probably focus on less players at one moment in time rather than managing a session of the 12 players and it becomes just that you're managing a session not really supporting the individuals to get to to, to maximize things and that's game day or training ian in a in a coach development context what's one question you wish you were asked more frequently yeah yeah the one the one that i've I'm sick of answering is about when's the next course. So as as soon as um, as soon as someone's finished the course, how can I jump to the next bit? Which I thoroughly understand, but it can't just be about collecting badges. I think we've got to get away from that. So I think um, yeah, people taking the time and, and want to learn more. Um, I think the the one if people are asking me how can I maximise small sided games. That'd be a great, I'd love people to be asking that. How, yeah, how, how can I maximise the use of small-sided formats? Um, and that's not just that going down a futsal route, that could be playing. So there's this massive rush to go to 11v11 and to play proper football, because that's what people see on the telly. Um, but I'm not sure that really gives us the full variety and variation on, on what the players really, really need. You know, and, and I think from my own learning how it's to get to start to understand the smaller numbers in some respects is easier, but then the detail that goes around that to really get to grips with that, I, that's the question I would love to, people to be asking. And, and I think if you think back to, you know, if you chat to Spanish coaches, Brazilian coaches, Portuguese coaches, they're, they're brought up on small sided games, you know, up to being 12, 13, 14 years old and really understand that the football coaches, that's, that's their bread and butter is small-sided and they really get it and i think for from an english point of view that would be that'd be a huge step forward if, if we got those sort of questions another question ian that i would like for you to consider is if you had to write down a, a list of ideas that would transform coach education coach development what would be on your list yeah for people to play more games and then, um, so the so the coaches understand the possibilities from the games. I think that'd be huge. And putting putting games matches to game. When I say games, I'm I'm referring to matches again. Putting that really really at the top of the list. Um, to value the small sided stuff. So don't rush to eleven v eleven. I'd be saying, can we can coaches get a, can they get a team around them to mentor them. Um, so I think I've been really fortunate that, you know, if, I've, if I want to know about young player learning, I'll, I might go and chat with Pete Sturgis. If, um, you know, if, if I want mention around something broad, I might go to somebody else. If I might want an opinion from outside the game, I'll go to my buddy that lives around the corner. I've got different people that I can turn to. So building up, building up a system where people can access their own mentors and, and choose their own mentors and develop it like quite a close team around them. I think that that would be critical. Um, I think if we, the more at the moment, we're kind of short on coach developers. COVID's had a little bit to do with that. You know, the feedback we get from clubs, from, you know, our guys that go into the club, people like support if it's done in the right way. 
if it's non-threatening, if it's supportive, if there's going to be help. I think that's one of your thing you said to me, Keith. If you're selling it, can I help you? People generally go, oh yeah, okay, I'll have some help. I don't mind some help. So I think, yeah, if we've got a, a team of coach developers out there that's you know increased than what it is, I think that'd be really handy. And I think the last thing is is just coaching being really valued as a career. You know, that people not working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. You know, it's not sustainable. So we see a massive churn of, of people in the pro game at the minute. And I think, one, the, the, the wages aren't particularly good. And two, the hours are ridiculously long. And then people get fed up with it in the end. Um, and it just doesn't seem right. And I think that comes back to... And, and again, when I started at the FA, Trevor Brooking was, was keen to sort of promote the skills programme. And that was like his little baby. And that part of that was to get coaching recognised, particularly in the foundation phase as a, a real credible, credible career. And I think that would be, um, yeah, that'd be my, my big thing really, if, if it could get recognized, but I think we're, we're probably some way off that. Final question for you. To any young aspiring coach, what advice would you give them? So I, I was fortunate to give, my first opportunity came to me from Tony Whelan, who's at Man United and and I'm sure people will be aware of Tony's where he was at United. He's been there probably for about 20, 30 years. And, and he gave me my first opportunity and teed up my second opportunity for me and, and opened the door. And he's, he's so I'm gonna, I'll put you in touch with somebody who might have some work. He says, but he, he said, all I'm saying is just make sure you work really hard and don't let anybody down. And I've kind of tried to take that with me. In 30 years, I've managed to stay doing, being in football and around football. And every day, I think I come back to that. You know, make sure you're working hard. Don't let anybody down. That, that's absolutely critical because the football world is really, really small. So if you let people down, word would, would quickly get out. I think from a, a broader perspective, I, I think get time on the grass. You know, just work with loads and loads of loads of players, different types of players, young players, old players. If you can manage um, a group in a school, um, you know, with 30 kids that probably some want to play, some don't want to play. It's probably not the warmest day. You might be on the playground. If you can manage that group, you can manage a group of any players. So but get time managing kids uh, and having a go. I think... And again, this needs taking the right way, but figuring out ways to win, you know, that will help you figure out what the game's all about. You know, the game's about scoring goals, stopping goals. Um, you're probably going to do that by practising within matches. And that doesn't mean just banging your best players in. It's like how we're going to support those players. And I think the, the final thing really is just don't go bad collecting. You know, the magic happens when it, you're working it out for yourself. Um, or even better, when you're working with someone really close and you're both working it out. And if you're both passionate about it, you're both trying to work out those problems, then that's when you're just going to create your own gold dust. And once you get into that place, you're in a magical place. Well, Ian, it's that time, but we've got to thank you. And I know you and I have spoken, we've known each other a long, long time. We've delivered courses together and, you know, there's a special uniqueness around you where you do passionately care about developing. There's testimony to how many people you've worked for over a period of time. I think if I may 
it might only be three companies you've worked for. So on behalf of the listeners, thank you ever so much for creating the time to be with us today. Yeah, absolute pleasure, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it and um, hope it's been useful for everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.